the very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden or Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. It keeps your workers warm. It keeps your heavy equipment running. It keeps your customers happy. Propane. Let us take the pain out of propane. We'll make sure your tanks are full so you don't have to. Skagit Farmers Supply provides safe, efficient delivery service for business, agriculture, and residential. Visit them today and see how they can keep you warm this winter at SkagitFarmers.com. In the shop. It makes me sad. It makes me uncomfortable to have to say, yeah, well, it is a nice car. Love the color of the paint. You know, the seats feel great. <laughs> Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. Eating 10000 bucks worth of repairs. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Protecting fish without destroying farming. We talk about this from a lot of different angles here on this program. Has anybody in the farming community in Washington, particularly western Washington, particularly in Whatcom and Skagit counties, is very keenly aware of the pressure to protect and restore salmon in our streams and how that effort can affect farming and sometimes it causes problems especially when people aren't listening to each other and especially when people thinking about restoring salmon okay that's a that's a good idea when when they aren't thinking about the impact of what they're doing and planning to do on farming and and the importance of keeping farming around to protect salmon, it's called looking at the bigger picture. Welcome back, by the way. This is The Farming Show on KGMI, 790-96.5 FM in Bellingham. I'm your host, Dylan Honkoop, with Save Family Farming and Whatcom Family Farmers, two uh, farming community advocacy groups that I serve as communication director for, amongst other things. Um, it's time for an update on, on what's happening on this bigger issue of fish and farming down in Skagit County. Recently, we've, we've talked with the senior deputy uh, prosecuting attorney in Skagit County, Will 
Ohoney about an issue of greenwashing down there. What's greenwashing? Well, in this case, what greenwashing is, is a big um, organization, in this case, a public utility, Seattle City Light, wanting to pay money basically to cover up their lack of environmental sustainability with how they're producing electricity, which, by the way, for people who don't know, Seattle City Light gets a bunch of its electricity from the Skagit River and the series of dams that it has on there. You know, uh, Lake Diablo and Ross Lake and, and whatnot. Uh, Will Honey is back with us with the Skagit County uh, Prosecutor's Office. He's very intimately involved in this issue. So when we talked, uh, uh, we've talked a couple of times over the past few months, Will, um, the issue is this greenwashing that Seattle City Light apparently wants to do, apparently in an attempt to avoid putting fish passage, you know, fish ladder or some kind of improvements to their dams so fish can access the river habitat beyond those dams. It's happened on a lot of hydroelectric projects all over the Pacific Northwest and world, really. There's better and better technology to do this. That's going to cost them a lot of money. So they had a different plan in mind, right? That's where this all started. Them trying to avoid having the, the very extreme expense of doing that. Turns out their plan would severely harm the farming community in the Skagit Valley. Are we summing this up so far correctly? Well, yeah, Dylan. Hi, good morning. Uh, well, it's it. You know, it's a long and complicated story, but let me try to boil it down this way. Uh, you know, for the last three decades or so, Seattle City Light has mitigated for the impacts of its dams on salmon by buying up land at Skagit County is you know, just acquiring land and uh, under the guise of protecting it. A lot of this was uh, flood ground, you know, uh, sw- marshland, this sort of thing that couldn't be developed in any event. Right. Um, this was a tremendous bargain for them because what it's in effect allowed is them to avoid the necessity of fish passage over its dams. Like most hydroelectric operations in the Northwest, have been required to do, whether you're looking at the Columbia, the Snake, wherever, they've, they've had to put in fish passage. Now, it works pretty well for the fisheries resource, and it costs more money. Every uh, other, for the most part, hydroelectric operator, every power customer in the Northwest, for the most part, has absorbed the cost of fish passage over their hydroelectric dams that are providing their energy, except on the Skagit with respect to Seattle. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, this has saved them a lot of money, something like 37 times less than the regional average for hydro operations. Now coming into, now they're getting a new license is what's going on from the federal government. And every so often they have to renew their big, huge um, FERC license, right? Right with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and it's a 50-year-long license, and this is the only opportunity for anyone to ask him to do anything for the next 50 years. So it's a big deal. Um, and so recognizing that they're going to have to spend considerably more money and, you know, and recognizing that they don't and they don't want to do fish passage still, they, they need to find some big habitat projects that some money can be spent on. So what they did is started looking to the Skagit estuary and saying, we're going to get involved in do, doing big fish projects. And they're behind efforts to, you know, lots of efforts to show that this is necessary and so forth. The problem is we already know it's it's necessary at a certain level, but it has to be done carefully over time in, in a very uh, deliberate way. You can't just throw a dart at a map and say that's going to be fish habitat. The good, well, there are good spots to do projects, and they're essentially right at the mouth of the river. Now, we have 
and by we, I mean uh, our community, the diking districts and the drainage districts that were responsible for all this infrastructure that allows Skagit County and farming to exist. They had a, a, an agreement with the agencies, the federal resource agencies, about how to deal with this. Um, they uh, were working on these projects over time, but this this was this this arrangement was called the Tidegate Fish Initiative Agreement was essentially an impediment to Seattle's effort to uh, use farmland as mitigation for its dams instead of fish passage. Well, and, and, so, and if I recall, if we talked about it before, I mean, because we started this off saying, you know, for years they they've bought things like marshlands, wetlands, things like that. At some point, you can only buy so much of that, and and you have to start moving out into actual productive farmlands if you want to continue this this pattern, right? And and that's kind of what's happening here. Yeah, that's right. They they, they bought up marginal lands in the valley, and most of that's low hanging fruit's been picked, and so now the crosshairs are moving to the Skagit Delta, to our prime productive natural resources land that we worked so hard to protect for generations from development and sprawl down here. Um, and so putting the crosshairs on that and also, you know, the agreements that local, uh, you know, diking drainage districts, agriculture has had with the agencies to manage habitat improvement, turns out that's an impediment. So there was uh, in fall, uh, it would be September of 2021, Earth Justice threatened a federal lawsuit and the National Marine Fisheries Service raised some questions about all of this. And it just was very clear, all of this was coming from and getting its energy from Seattle City Light needing to do it, wanting to do its mitigation on our farmland. And this was a problem. So Skagit County government, uh, and you'll recall a few months ago, we adopted an ordinance prohibiting this kind of offsite mitigation on our farmland. Um, and it was, you know, in some measure related to the Seattle City Light yeah. situation. That I, I just think that was the first time I had you on, on the show about that to explain. Why are you guys creating a moratorium, a ban, essentially, at least temporarily for, for now, as long as the moratorium lasts on on doing habitat projects on farmland? Well, once you explain this whole greenwashing scheme, which is really what we've just covered here, um, it makes sense why you would block that. Um, and now what, where does that leave us? What, what, what has that forced the players in this to do? Well, we think there's a lot of progress, uh, in, 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 in that's, that's been going forward. First of all, we're, we're really, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised with, uh, federal and state resource agencies, uh, you know, as, as John Adams, second U.S. president, famously said, backs are stubborn things. And <laughs> ultimately, it uh, has given, I think, me and us a lot of faith in our federal and state resource agencies. Mm. They're doing the right thing for our community and the fisheries resource. Um, the, and, the facts and don't always seem to hold as much sway, though, with this. Um, nonprofit industrial complex uh, surrounding environmental uh, groups in Western Washington. <laughs> well, it's a part of the. Problem. I mean, nonprofits have a role in advocacy and and uh, helping, but right. the establishment of policy at a big picture level, our comprehensive plan, how we uh, harmonize fisheries and farming on our land base that we've made a commitment to keep around. These are the province of democratically elected governments, tribal and non-tribal in our valley. And, you know, Seattle City Light, that this is very much at the center of this. They are an important player, 
but they have no more standing in this space in this space than say Puget Sound Energy, which doesn't insist on this level of control mm-hmm. over our political systems, or Shell Oil, or British Petroleum, any anyone else. Um, I think it's just simply because it has Seattle in the name that that people are a little blinded by what's what's transpiring here. And so we, when we passed that ordinance, it was to stop this from occurring and to support um, you know our tribal friends and neighbors and their request that fish passage happen here. Um, and so part of that, though, was the estuary uh, situation and the idea that we have these districts that now can't get permits to maintain tide gates. I mean, this is critical infrastructure. This is the sort of thing it's been sitting, these things have been sitting, you know, for years, several years without appropriate maintenance. This is a problem. And, the, the, you know, the, the issue here on the Skagit Estuary is you've got projects around the mouth of the river. You've got a few landowners that don't want to sell their land. And this is a free country. We can't, as local government, make them do anything they don't want to do. Can't do uh, the, uh, eminent domain. Well, we don't. We don't have the authority within yeah. our authorities to condemn land for salmon habitat. It's possible that the state of Washington does. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we've we've not even gotten there. No, mo- for the most part, no one has even offered these folks any money for their land. Just hmm. just that our entire community and all farmers are somehow to blame for this situation. It's just totally inconsistent with reality. Hmm. Um, and and so again, there's been an effort. Uh, you know, I'll, I won't pin it entirely on Seattle City Light, but I'll say it's pretty clear they had a hand in it mm-hmm. uh, to go after the districts and keep them from being able to maintain this critical tide gate structure. So wait, wait, why wouldn't you want to maintain that? Why would you? I mean, I see the need for mitigation here. I see the need for, um, well, really, I. Maybe, maybe not with mitigation. Maybe, maybe you know, Seattle City Light just needs to bite the bullet, pass the cost on to their ratepayers, uh, and build fish passage. But uh, that's probably a different conversation. Um, I, I see the need for salmon restoration, and and those efforts are underway in a variety of places with habitat, including the estuary down there in Skagit. But if you start burning up more and more farmland, suddenly the farming community dips below a certain threshold. It can't even survive survive anymore if thousands and thousands of acres of Skagit County's productive farmland gets taken out of production to be quote unquote, you know, mitigation or or salmon habitat, um, which I think is already suspect if if the real MO of of doing that isn't the actual fish run restoration. The, the real MO is just to get the fish passage on the dam issue off of their back. Suddenly the whole thing is, is tainted. If you're doing it, you're not going to do a good job. You're, you're going to buy up land. You're going to do projects that don't necessarily fit the spot, aren't necessarily the right thing, damaging, reducing Skagit County agriculture along the way. Uh, all of this, it, it becomes this huge problem there in Skagit County and it it doesn't make sense to proceed this way what happens next and like you said you 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 have this lever now of a moratorium on this kind of stuff why would you want to then hinder these tide gates which are necessarily to protect the environment as well it sounds like this is political and legal gamesmanship well, yeah, it's a very complex situation, and you know, I think it takes. We could sit here and talk for months, and neither of us would have it all figured out. <laughs> but 
No, the short version of it is Seattle needs to go up and do fish passage at its dams. Only Seattle can do fish passage and improve things in the upper basin. It's not going to be a cheap exercise, so they should, uh, you know, save their money for that, keep their powder dry for that, and and do that appropriately. And on the estuary, we have a whole plan, uh, you know, with specific projects laid out that are prioritized. And... um, you know, so there's just been a sort of lot of uh, random regulatory attack without much point from our perspective. Yeah. And so part of our effort in adopting that ordinance wasn't just to say, you know, get out of here, Seattle, uh, with your money that's coming after our farmland. We need to get a handle on this situation for our whole community. Yeah. And so part of this, and that was referenced in the ordinance, and we need to work directly with Skagit Treaty Tribes, right? We, they're not going anywhere. Uh, neither are we. We need to figure this out together. Um, and, you know, th- this power company has been a really unhelpful influence in that. And we're, you know, we're asking them to step aside and afford us the space to work it out with the tribes. And so there's a, a mediated effort that's uh, being initiated. I think the real leaders of it are the uh, Skagit Drainage and Irrigation Con- District Consortium, which mm-hmm. is a public entity uh, headed by an extremely capable woman hydrologist named Jenna Friebel. Yep. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of faith in her as a community to do the right thing all around. Um, and uh, and then the Upper Skagit Indian Tribe are taking a leading role in it. Um, and the Soxhawatl Indian Tribe, I think all the all the tribes are on board, as far as I understand, um, with the support of the resource agencies. And there are two objectives. There are two objectives. One is to make sure these districts get their permits. There's no reason to jeopardize this expensive infrastructure to try to, uh, you know, force these districts to provide land they don't own, right? I mean, yeah. that's the crux of the, the on the Skagit Delta. That everybody hears a lot about the Skagit Delta. What I just said, you know, trying to force these districts through regulatory efforts to provide land they don't own is not a fruitful pathway. Um, and so, and, and secondly, uh, the important part of this exercise is we have all agreed as a community, and I mean county, districts, agricultural representatives, resource agencies, tribes, nonprofits, everybody's on board with this uh, effort that we went through to identify where the best projects are, right? And, you know, big shocker, they're around the mouth of the river. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have committed to that. But we have also insisted that this move forward in a rational way, that we have to look at these things for what they really are, which is major civil works projects with a habitat component. We're talking about moving marine dikes around and river levees around in a situation with the third largest river on the U.S. West Coast. This is, you know, this is this is stuff that can go disastrously wrong if you mm-hmm. don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And secondly, these districts, um, you know, these districts in Skagit County are really an amazing thing that, that has, you know, people don't talk about or think about. But, uh, you know, people think of farmers as these uh, sort of independent, go it alone. But here in the Skagit, these districts formed, in, you know, of their own volition among the landowners to create and maintain this infrastructure. And they've maintained these little governments to do that, taxing districts you know, for a century yeah. and they govern themselves and they tax themselves and they manage this stuff. And it, it's what protects this whole valley. Uh, you know, um, just to cite one example, um, you know, the city of Anacortes water treatment plant is protected by levees. Uh, and that feeds Swinomish Indian tribal community with water, their casino, NAS Whidbey, the refineries, Anacortes, 
you know, we're all connected together when you get right down yeah. to it. And a lot of it hinges on these little districts, hmm. uh, that these, you know, very unappreciated districts that have kept this all together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they are the ones that own, operate, manage these things. And so when someone comes in and says, well, I've got a grant check and I want to do, do some stuff here and move stuff around and it's going to improve things. Um, you know, there's a bit of a history of that not working out very well. These districts need, they must be in charge of these projects. Now that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't, you know, they, that doesn't mean that uh, tribal fish biologists shouldn't have significant input into how to make these the best things possible for fish. But when the grant money's gone and the project's over, our districts remain in charge of and responsible for everything that happens. So yep. they, you know, it's just basic contract law. We want to put the burden of, of doing the right thing on the person who is, bears accountability. Yeah. Yep. Will Honey, uh, Skagit County Senior Deputy uh, uh, Prosecuting Attorney with us on the Farming Show right now talking about uh, fish habitat and projects and how this fits with a big utility seattle city light that is you know has its dams on the on the river uh in skagit county and and what they want to do and then how that is or could be you know significantly interfering with farming there um what they're doing about it just just 30 seconds left here with you will what's next in this whole ongoing battle to protect farming there in, in Skagit County? Well, I think the, the crux of it is uh, we've made clear, and I think there's a, a pretty broad consensus that City Light needs to go up to its dams and do fish passage. And what we need to do as a community is, is come together, come together with the treaty tribes and figure this out. There's really broad agreement on what needs to happen next. And, you know, this is a really positive thing for our community. I know there's some, you know, there's, is, when anything like this occurs, there's concern in the ag community. Uh, but, you know, having a, a reasoned discussion about how to balance our needs is, is not happening. And just letting that occur is a huge win. Nobody's speaking for landowners. Individual yeah. in our world, individual landowners speak for landowners. But we, as the governments, need to be, uh, you know, the, the locally democratically elected, accountable, open, transparent tribal and non-tribal governments need to be working together to decide this gadget's future. And that's that's the next step. Well, you're going to have to keep us updated on this, uh, but the future of farming in Skagit County does hang in the balance with this issue because if Seattle City Light got its way, you know, it could, um, in not that long amount of time, gobble up enough farmland to, to start uh, whittling away at the farming economy there in Skagit County. It's something that we talk a, a lot about up here in Whatcom County as well. I don't know if you guys have a number like we do. We talk about 100,000 acres in farming. Um, you know, you, you drop below that and things start changing pretty quickly. Uh, the, the whole community starts to atrophy. So keep up the good work there. Thank you for the update, uh, Will Honey. Here with us here on the Farming Show, uh, he is the Senior Deputy Prosecuting Attorney there in Skagit County. Will, thanks for your time this morning. Well, thank you. Good to talk to you, Dylan. Take care. Do you have friends who say, stop by any time, and you think they don't really mean that? Well, unlike those friends, Dewey Griffin Subaru's express service means it. They're open six days a week, including Saturdays. Stop by any time you need an oil change or any other minor maintenance, and they'll take care of you. No appointment necessary, and you'll get a free car wash with your service. Dewey Griffin Subaru, community-minded and community-driven, and the only certified Subaru tire and service center in the county, 1800 Iowa Street in Bellingham. 
Dr. John's Auto Clinic, located in Bellingham on Kentucky Street, is here for your auto repair and service needs. Trusted and affordable auto repair in Bellingham for over 25 years. Ask about their oil change and maintenance inspections. You can hear Brian from Dr. John's Auto Clinic every Saturday on In the Shop on Newstalk 790 KGMI. Or check out Dr. John's Auto Clinic at djautoclinic.com. And on Facebook for the latest in auto repair news. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, reliable, honest, and a part of this community for over 25 years. Sold to bidder 126. The March Consignment Equipment Auction at Meridian Equipment in Laurel is scheduled to begin on March 11th. The auction will be held online. Consignments are now being taken until the auction commences on March 11th. Contact Meridian Equipment today for more information. Meridian Equipment, selling and servicing new and used farm and light industrial equipment for over 70 years. Open weekdays from 8 to 5 and Saturdays from 8 till noon on Guide Meridian in Laurel. Visit MeridianEQ.com today to explore what Meridian Equipment can do for you. Fires are deadly and can wipe out your business or home in a matter of minutes. If you need fire sprinkler installation, testing, repair, or service, nobody protects the Northwest like Columbia Fire. Marty Boonster here with Columbia Fire. You name it, we protect schools, office buildings, high-rises, even residential, too. For the last 35 years, Columbia Fire has been your one-stop shop for all things fire sprinklers. Get on our schedule today at ColumbiaFire.net. ColumbiaFire.net. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Well, an effort to allow farm workers to be able to make more money has essentially died now in a Washington State Senate committee. Uh, This is uh, uh, something that we've been sharing uh, at Save Family Farming, this effort uh, of workers to say, let us work, let us get the hours we want so we can make the money that we want for our families. We've talked about this before on the program, and politically things got a little bit ugly, and you've got to ask this bill, this idea that that farm workers were supporting and wanted and were testifying in favor of, it now kind of dying in the process, not being allowed to be brought forward for a vote by State Senator Karen Kaiser. Got to ask if that was because of what went on in a hearing on this bill where farm workers were essentially uh, manipulated and silenced by the political 
leadership in that committee. Welcome to the Farming Show uh, here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop with Save Family Farming. Um, this issue is a complicated one, and it's hard for some people to understand. But what's not hard to understand is that farm workers are saying, let us work. They don't want, they do not like the system of overtime that Washington State is now in the process of forcing on their work, ostensibly to benefit them, right? That's the idea as well. You know, if workers are given overtime, the state requires their employers to pay them time and a half pay over 40 hours a week. And actually, they're phasing that in. Last year, it was 55 was the threshold. This year, it's 48. Next year, it will be 40 hours a week. Um, if the state is saying you got to pay overtime beyond that threshold, like you would for a factory job or an office job, workers aren't able to make as much money. Why? Well, a f- variety of reasons, and we're going to get into this a bit again here this morning. Thank you be- for being with us here on, on KGO. I-, I have a clip of what happened in this hearing um, week and a half ago or so, just to demonstrate how this goes and the political the political hypocrisy that goes on in Olympia by people who say they care about farm workers, people who will shame and mock people uh, that they think are harming farm workers. Farmers, they say, are racist. Well, is that really the case? You know, is this those same people showing their true colors that if farm workers aren't on the same political team as them, don't agree with their political motives and agenda, suddenly they aren't their champions anymore? I think it's a, a legitimate question to ask, particularly after what we heard Washington State Senator Rebecca Saldana do in this hearing that we've been talking about. So the bottom line is, farms facing the specter of having to pay time and a half. Farms are already, and we talk about this all the time here on the program, farms face very tight margins to begin with. And it's getting worse, particularly in the last couple of years. Costs are skyrocketing. Returns for the food that they produce are often staying flat, in some cases even going down few cases going up a little bit and some people think oh well look your prices are going up. but it's nowhere near enough to keep pace with the increases in the cost so things are already tight then if you take labor costs and this is particularly true in labor intensive crops a lot of which we have here in washington state particularly tree fruit apples pears cherries here on the on the west side blueberries raspberries Labor, it involves a lot of people doing the work to bring in the harvest. This is the way that farming has gone since time immemorial. It it takes people, it takes time and work, and you make it happen. So you already have, without this whole overtime issue, you already have labor costs that are 50%. I'm hearing some, you know, People saying in certain cases 60%, in some cases even as high as 80% of the cost to produce that 
particular food. And again, here in Washington State, oftentimes this is fruit that we're talking about, the fruit that the state is famous for. So labor is already a huge percentage of the cost that goes into producing this. Then if you add this issue of overtime on top of it and say, you know, during those busy seasons, um, X amount of that labor done by people who are putting in more than 40 hours a week, because anybody in farming, myself included, has been there and done that. You put in the hours you make, you get work done. That's what you do. You put in a 50-hour week, a 60-hour week, 70-hour weeks. I used to work 80, 90-hour weeks sometimes during busy seasons in farming. I, I welcome that because I knew the other part of the year, in the wintertime, there's not going to be work to do, so i got to make the money now. So you take that work that already costs a farm a huge percentage of what it, it, the overall bill essentially to produce whatever food they're producing, and say a portion of that, uh, the stuff that, that workers are doing over the overtime threshold, that's now going to cost 50% more? Well, the economics don't really work out there. And in fact, a lot of farms in this state would go out of business if that was the only option they had. They don't have that as their only their other option. It's, for a lot of farms, the choice is do that and go out of business or say, okay, to mitigate this cost that's beyond what we can do and, and, and stay out of the red, the way to deal with that is what we've seen in so many other industries where people's hours are limited to keep them below that threshold. So that extra, you know, for farms in this case, um, potentially business ending cost is avoided. This is what workers are experiencing. And this is the farming show. Thanks for being with us here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Um, this is what workers are, are speaking out about and, and, and the voices that we've been sharing through our campaign at Save Family Farming and our campaign focused on farm workers and their voices called Protect Farm Workers Now. ProtectFarmWorkersNow.org is the website home for that. Uh, also, you can find Protect Farm Workers Now on Instagram and on Facebook. You can also find, of course, Save Family Farming on those platforms. We've been sharing their voices because farm workers are being hurt by this. Farms, in so many cases, don't have a choice if they want to stay in business. If they go out of business, what happens to those jobs in those hours? They're gone. Nobody's making anything. And as we've talked about on the show, that food production is very likely to be going elsewhere in the world to a foreign country where workers are paid next to nothing and they don't have protections and the environment does not have protection. They have a tiny fraction of the rules and regulations that we have here already, if those are even enforced in foreign countries, plus the carbon footprint to then ship that food from wherever it's being produced back here. So that's already a loss if farms go out of business because they can't afford to do this. If they can spread that out and say, okay, well, we're going to have to find a way to bring in more people. So more, more people, we have the pie of what we can afford to pay for labor dollars. Now each worker is going to have to get a smaller piece of the pie, essentially not be able to make as much money because we can't afford 
this increase on a portion of that piece of the pie because it doesn't exist. We don't have the money to do that. So workers are feeling this. Workers understand the economics of this as well. And that's where they're saying, can we just work? This is what we're used to. This is what we expect to do. And I say this as someone who, again, did farm work myself growing up. A lot of people around here also know what this is about. Busy season, you do it. You get it done. And that's what farm workers are saying. We're used to this. This is how we make our money. We get as many hours as we can during the busy season. And we have fewer hours or even take time off on the other side of the year when there's not much going on on the farm. Because, you know, like nature and stuff, you know, you're not... You're not harvesting apples in January. There's no, you know, none of this busy season stuff going on right now. You aren't going to get those hours. So this is is the way things work, and this is what workers are calling for. Again, we've talked about this on the show. So this idea has been brought forward to say, and this is this is what almost every other state that that's instituted over time in farming has done and it's called seasonality at least that's one term for it where the state allows a specific window designed to be timed with a a farm's busy season to say okay yeah that's when you're bringing in the crops everybody's working a lot and that overtime threshold is raised so people can work more hours and still protect their piece of the pie as far as the labor dollars that are there for them that's what farm workers want. They want to make more money. They want to put in the hours, make that money. And this bill, this idea um, that's being pushed forward in Olympia would help them do that, would help them make more money. That's why farmers, farm workers are in support of it. It would be good for farmers and farm workers. They agree on this. So this bill, Senate Bill 5476, brought forward that would do just that. It would introduce a 12-week window to be decided on a farm-by-farm basis, a farm could apply for it, be approved. They would have to give notice to their workers. There's going to be this 12-week season when we say it's going to start. Cause it's got to fit every different crop and every different farm and how they work and when the busy time is to allow people to get more hours and make more money without, without the farm going out of business because they cannot. They literally don't have the budget to pay that time-and-a-half pay. So this idea is dropped as a bill in Olympia. It's the legislative session down there. And it's dropped into by a few different senators in in the State Labor and Commerce Committee, chaired by Senator Karen Kaiser, very much a union supporter type, very progressive, and also vice chair of this committee, Senator Rebecca Saldana, a former farm worker, union activist. So you can imagine where they're... To these people, overtime is like a religion. And they literally will be... They're out there saying that if someone is not getting time and a half pay, to them, that's exploitation. Apparently, it doesn't matter that the actual economics in farming, which is different than any other sector in certain ways, it doesn't work out that way. And that's what's happening. These workers are not being helped by this. They're being hurt by it. They don't want to hear that, though, because this is their religion. Everyone, this is one of the tenets of, you know, the labor movement. Everyone has to have overtime. And to them, it's an injustice. To them, and they, they voice this in this committee hearing, to them, it it's based in racism. 
systemic racism, which the history of that they have warped as well, because it's not true. The arguments that they made, even in this this hearing that I'm going to play a clip from, I'm not going to play this part, but they did try to say, well, you know, this was all because racist farmers didn't want to pay people of color more money. And so that's why that there there was this exemption for overtime historically, and they're trying to right that wrong by this rollout of overtime for farming in Washington. That's not what it has to do with it all, but that's that's what they claim it's all about. So anything that opposes that, they're vehemently opposed to. Apparently, even if workers, the workers themselves that they say they're protecting are in favor of it. So this is what happens. Workers show up to this hearing. And Senators Kaiser and Saldana appeared kind of shocked that there were workers there testifying in favor of this bill that they thought was so terrible, that they politically think is so awful because they are far left, you know, progressive union types. Okay, so that, that's the hearing. These workers are, are testifying. Multiple people have testified. There have been some in the room. Um. And it finally comes to, sorry, I have the audio queued up here. It comes to some workers that are are testifying remotely over Zoom for some reason. And I still don't know why. And there there still hasn't been an answer to this. Um, There hasn't been an answer to why this happened. The the state certified translator that had translated for a different person in the room, a Spanish speaker in the room earlier, was not used. Who did the translating? State Senator Rebecca Saldana herself, who has a very clear political interest in this and should just be listening to testimony. So she's translating for these people, not accurately, by the way. She's already adding her color and her perspective in. And then after one of the workers speaks, she decides to add her own editorial comments without even saying that she's doing it first, just tacking it on to what's ostensibly the testimony of this worker. And then she has to correct herself. And oh, well, well, that, that's, that's my opinion. So listen to this. This is the wor- I'll just sum up what the worker said in Spanish um, was essentially this. His name was Cesar Crescencio, Eastern Washington farm worker, said, Good morning. My name is Cesar Crescencio. I support Bill SB 5476. In the wintertime, we only work like 20 hours, and it's very difficult to help my family financially and my daughter as well since she's studying. I want to be able to work more than 50 hours. Thank you. So he's in favor of this bill. He wants to be able to work more hours. This is what State Senator Rebecca Saldana then did as she was quote-unquote translating. See if you think it's the same thing, and you, as I will, as I was, you will be shocked by her adding her own comments at the end of this testimony. Take a listen yeah. to this. Gracias por su testimonio. And again, just briefly saying that during the winter, it's really hard. Um, there's not enough work. There's, it's really hard to put the hours together. And so that's why when there is work, they need the extra hours. Being able to work 50 hours is what allows them to even survive. Um, and it would be even more if they could work those extra 10 hours and have that be time and a half with overtime. And that's my last, my, my comments, because it's really hard for me to translate when I know that they're not given all the information. Thank you. La próxima persona. What? Okay, did you just hear what happened there? Number one, she didn't really accurately represent what, what Cesar said. 
Mr. Crescencio. She didn't even say what he said, which was he supports the bill. She didn't even repeat that. So her translation was inaccurate to begin with. Secondly, she begins to add her own editorial comments without even saying anything, as if he had said it, only correcting herself afterwards, adding in her political perspective about overtime, which is already suggesting, I guess, that he's wrong in what he's saying. But then that much worse... She goes on to say, it's really hard for me to translate when this is going on. Okay, well, why are you translating then? If it's hard for you to translate, there's a certified translator in the room. Use that person. But then it's really hard for me to translate when I know these folks haven't been given the right information. What? It's really hard for me to translate when I know that they're not given all the information. Thank you. And then she carries on. So she is saying that this worker doesn't know what he's talking about? Is that really what she just did? Talk about demeaning. This guy knows what he's talking about. All these folks, they live it. This is their life. They're not stupid. I don't know what Senator Saldana thinks. She claims to, to be the champion for this community, looking out for this community. Yet when they say something she politically disagrees with, she has to suggest they haven't been given all the information? Give me a break. It's it's pathetic. And Senator Saldana should apologize for this kind of behavior. That's what happened. There's other clips I could play. I'm out of time. This is The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Unfortunately, well, and you can hear there. Obviously, she didn't want to hear what they had to say. So is it any surprise? She's the vice chair. You know, the, the chair, Senator Kaiser, pulled some similar antics, questioning whether farm workers really knew what they were saying. It's disgusting to me. Somehow telegraphing that they think these people aren't smart. Give me a break. Smart people. But is it any surprise with that kind of leadership that this bill hmm, didn't go anywhere? Yeah, because it was inconvenient for them politically. It's a shame. and It's not the way things should work. Uh, I guarantee we have not heard the end of this issue. Thanks for being with us this morning here on The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on, on KGMI, of course, uh, Saturday Morning Live. Coming up next as we continue on KGMI 790 and 96.5 FM in Bellingham.